looking at this whole year is this whole process of listening so that we could love people well and then ultimately given the gift to lead them. You may not consider yourself a leader, but if you have the ability to share Christ with somebody else or to pray for someone, God can give you the spiritual gift of influence in their life, which is really what leadership is. Um, as Lucy and Sherry go into the Ottawa Carleton Detention Center, this is what they're doing. They're listening, they're loving, and then praying for God to give them the opportunity to lead people to Christ. And that's not exclusive to them. That's an invitation at Alpha, but also each of us each day. But if our living is devoid of listening and devoid of loving, then what we are seeing across the capital C church globally is we are not seeing listen, love, and lead. We are actually seeing when we're devoid of listening, we're devoid of loving, we're seeing a a catastrophic number of people leaving the church uh, in not just North America, but all around the world. And by God's grace, working together, this is a trend that we want to see reversed. But if it's going to be reversed, what it means is that you're going to have to handle a little bit of pressure. You know, growing up, I had the privilege of playing different sports. I didn't say I had the privilege of playing different sports well. I had the privilege of getting cut from sports teams. But I noticed something quite interesting. For example, when I was a little gaffer and I played soccer, and I put that in parentheses, I played soccer, I ran up and down the field. I had a lot of heart, not a lot of skill. But in that space, here's what was fascinating. If I was running up and down the field, I could run up on the field all game. No pressure. But the moment somehow the ball came in my direction towards me, even though I didn't desire it perhaps, when it happened, you know what you experience when the ball comes to you? You now become the focus of everybody on the opposing team's attention and affection. (laughs) And this changes things. Everybody say pressure is a privilege. Sometimes we want to throw off pressure, but pressure is a privilege because we're actually playing the game. The enemy doesn't mind you running up and down the field, doing your whole Christian life. If you're by yourself running up and down the field, but the moment you begin to invite somebody to Alpha, the moment you begin to say, I'm going to start a life group, I'm going to volunteer to begin to serve, I'm going to take up this Malachi test, and be, I'm going to test you in this tithe thing, God, I guarantee you, you is going to experience pressure. And the one thing that followers of Christ do not seem to have in our generation that other generations had is we seem to be lacking this word called resiliency. Faith or Exiles is an excellent research-driven study conducted by Dave Kinneman and Mark Matlock. And in it, they discover five factors which make followers of Jesus more resilient. I want you, when I talk about resiliency, I want you to think strong and anchored, hard in a sense, but not like jaded and cynical hard, tender to the world around them, but very anchored in their beliefs, very anchored in who God is. This is immovable within their life, though everything around them is shifting. And their five factors are love Jesus, they trust Scripture, they have meaningful relationships Here's what's extraordinary. They don't need 50 friends in the church. They just need two. And if you have somebody, mm -hmm, and if you have somebody from another generation whom you look up to, this helps with resiliency. Engage purpose and that you live a countercultural mission. So let's just, this whole next five weeks, we're going to introduce them, and then over the course of the next year, we're going to dig into them deeper and deeper together. The first one is love Jesus. 
Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31, we often quote it, says, you shall love the Lord your God. This is known as the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor. Turn the person beside you and say, howdy, neighbor. If you're online in chat, just write, hi, neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, everybody look, look at someone in the eyeballs. Find someone around you, look them in the eyeballs. Okay, you're called to love that person. Now look the other way and go, oh, them too. You're called to love them. Now, now look this way. This is where it gets really hard. You got to love me too. I know, it's a challenge. We're all called to love one another. And if there's an area where the world is not accepting what we as followers of Jesus are saying, it's because of the lack of love that we are showing towards one another. And so this is an area where we must all grow, myself included, in resiliency. And when we talk about love, we often think about feelings and thoughts and emotions and butterflies and all of these wonderful things. And yeah, love can and should involve our feelings, our thoughts, and our emotions. Yet here is what is true for resilient disciples of Christ. Love is not exclusively their feelings, their thoughts, and their emotions. Because for love to be received and often expressed, it needs to become directional. I don't feel in love every day. Every time I do devotions, I don't feel butterflies. Some of you are like, well, what's wrong with you? Lots of things. Add it to the list. I don't feel butterflies every time. And so my discipline sustained me in seasons where I don't feel butterflies. However, within that space, oftentimes, there can be a directional pull away from the Lord and towards other things that can affect our resiliency. When you and I say that we love somebody, if the direction of our life never changes from being self-focused to focus towards them at all, it isn't that you don't think or feel or aren't in love with them. Nobody can judge your motives. But what we can often say is, I struggle to know if it's true. I struggle in this space. If it's never directed towards us, it becomes tough to trust. And Jesus knows this. And here's what I want to promise you. Any time that you set your affection towards Jesus, I promise you he has already moved towards you. In fact, he gave you a promise. No matter how you treat him, he's never going to leave you or forsake you. Why? Because he is love and his love directed towards you is not based on your behavior. It is based on his character, which is always greater than our behavior. Now, this doesn't mean that we can just treat Jesus indifferently. Kind of like in the epistles where the apostle Paul says, by the grace of God where sin abounds, grace abounds. But does that mean that because where sin abounds, grace abounds, I get to do all the fun stuff of sin and have God do? The apostle Paul says, no, you actually you've missed the point. And what he's actually saying there, right, is, no, no, if your heart has never turning from the, the affection of sin, then I question whether your heart has been touched and received the fullness of the love of God. That is this evident thing in our lives. And so God is love. And so I want you to watch as Jesus loves his disciples through this initial meeting and then one encounter. I want you to watch how in love Jesus is forming them to trust him and then reciprocate love towards him. 
It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, everyone say, he saw. Jesus sees them before they see Jesus. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. And so again, before Simon and Andrew could follow Jesus, Jesus sees them, and Jesus invites them. If you're going to invite anybody out to Alpha in the season, here's what I promise you. Before you give the invitation, you're not the first one on the scene. The Holy Spirit is already at work in their hearts. They may not say yes, but the Holy Spirit is already at work in their hearts. They may say no. They may reject your invitation or accept your invitation. You'll never know unless you engage it. But I promise you, the Holy Spirit is already at work. To follow Jesus, though, here's what happens. Jesus extends an invitation and then they have to choose to accept or reject. In other words, following Jesus, accepting his invitations, should change the direction of our lives. It should change the way in which we live, the way in which we walk, in large ways and sometimes very small ways, as we just adjust our trajectory even ever so slightly. To follow Jesus, they leave their nets, and James and John leave their father. Because again, accepting Jesus' loving invitation sets their lives in a different direction. Now, oftentimes when you and I as Canadians, particular in the season with which we have walked through, oftentimes when you and I speak of direction, we only see left and right. And there's lots of things that we could discuss on left and right. And sometimes as followers of Christ, maybe we have an upward view and a downward view, and this is very important. And these things are not ignorant of whether you have a left-leaning view or a right-leaning view, and whether you see God at work or maybe you see too much of the enemy at work. Like These are important things. We're asking you to share these things with us. They are significant things. But what I have found in my life, which perhaps you have found in yours, and the enemy may use left and right to do it as well. Here's what I have found is the most powerful and important direction in my life actually isn't left or right. It is, am I being pulled towards being conformed? Am I being pulled towards Christ-likeness? Or am I being pushed away to being formed by something else? Here is what is true of each of us, whether we are at home or we are here. Each one of us right now is in the process of being formed into something. Every one of us, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, which films you choose to listen to, which podcasts you engage, what, what, what you read, how you, how you live. All of this forms and shapes our worldview, our belief systems. And Jesus knows this. And so Jesus beckons these disciples to consistently follow him. And as the disciples trust and follow him, you know what they begin to experience? My goodness, does this man ever love us? is his love and his affection anytime we come to him. Even sometimes, though, his words may be corrective and stern. They are unlike any that we have heard before because the basis is not frustration with us. The basis is always love. 
Oftentimes it can be like, well, Jesus just tolerated the Pharisees. Never view the Scriptures. For God so loved the people of the world. Jesus loved them so much that he wanted to redirect and form and shape their heart, not to excuse the law, but to see the higher call of love than just sometimes the law that they were seeing. Resilient followers of Jesus. I know this is cheesy and we've heard it a lot, and I know it's a bit of a cliche. I know that it is. The problem is, it is a cliche and it's true. Disciples who are resilient follow Jesus relationally, not merely religiously. Disciples who are resilient follow Jesus in a relational sense. In other words, Jesus isn't regulated to their Sunday activity. He forms and shapes and directs Monday to Saturday too. He shapes everything in their lives. Religion can be defined as belonging or relating to a group of people who are united by their practice of religion. And Canada is pluralistic in its religions. And here's what's fascinating. There are religions in Canada that we know about, like whether you talk about Christianity, you're talking about Islam, you can talk about Hinduism, you can talk about Buddhism, you can talk about lots of known religions, but also secularism within Canada acts as a religion. Don't believe me? Disagree with its core tenets and beliefs and you will discover it functions precisely as a religion, sometimes like a cult. And here's why I say this. Because relational means following Jesus, as I said a moment ago, in our everyday lives, which brings joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And so nine out of 10, 90%, not perfect, but pretty good, Nine out of ten resilient disciples describe their life in Christ as an everyday relationship. Not perfect. They all want to grow in prayer. They all want to do this better. They all want to hear the Lord more clear. They're not perfect, but Jesus impacts the whole of their life, not just their Sundays. Here's what begins to happen, though. Religion isn't the issue. Our hearts, is the, hearts are the issue. And when our hearts just become content with religion, here's what happens. Rather than 90% of us being resilient, it drops to 50% of us. And 50% of us being resilient, this is what happens if you just describe your following Jesus as a Sunday thing. And it's good that it's a Sunday thing. But Jesus also wants to talk to you about your Monday to Saturday stuff. This is a beautiful thing. But only five out of 10 who go to church describe themselves as being resilient. Five out of 10. That means for one out of every two people who self-identify as Christians, 50% of them are lacking resiliency. The moment pressure becomes on their lives, the moment they begin to play the game, they don't see it as a privilege, they see it as a problem. And if you see pressure as a problem, then what you're going to do is you're going to want the pressure solved. But the pressure is actually oftentimes designed by God to produce Christ-likeness in us. And so the very thing that the Holy Spirit is active in doing in your life, we reject and we actually drift towards what the enemy is doing, which is comfort. This is what we are in. We just sang a song, We Need a Fresh Wind. The power of your presence, pour your spirit out. What if, what if, random thought, what if, as Pastor Gabe read Acts chapter two, upper room, Holy Spirit, amazing, we want all of it. 
You know what they had after Acts chapter 2? Some of you are like signs and wonders and miracles and thousands being saved. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. You know what they had after the signs and wonders and miracles and thousands saved? Pressure and persecution. <laughs> Lots of it. Lots of it. I'm not saying, hey, bring it on. I turn to the person beside you and say, that's a dumb prayer. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. Don't worry about maybe persecution or pressure coming. Look at what God is doing in this season to prepare you because if you follow and allow him to direct and accept the invitations, then I promise you he will build resiliency in you and when you feel pressure and even, yes, persecution, you will know that I'm not alone. And like the disciples, you will say, Father, thank you that I am worthy to experience this for your glory. <laughs> like... 25% of you are clapping, and 75% of you are like, ah, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not saying I want it or like it. I'm just saying, if that's what's coming, Lord, prepare us not to be whiny Christians fighting against one another. But can you imagine what the church of Jesus Christ could do growing in resiliency defining a common enemy that is not political or personal. It is a principality in power. Do you imagine, can you imagine for a moment what darkness would do if the church of Jesus Christ would no longer fight one another but would unite in the power of the Spirit knowing who they are in Christ and focus on our common enemy? Ooh, watch out, watch out. The invitation of Jesus to Simon and Andrew and James and John is two words, follow me. Oftentimes, the most powerful invitations from Jesus are the shortest. Surrender is a really powerful invitation. Sometimes, actually, the more words around it, the more suspect I get. Like, yeah, you're looking for loopholes. Some of you actually are not walking in the purpose that God has for you, not because you don't know what it is, but because you do know what it is and it terrifies you, and that's okay. Join the club. This week, I encourage you to try something. Pay attention to how many invitations or bids for your affection come your way. How many bids for your affection are there? Now, they're never going to say to you, they're never going to come out and say, will you follow me? Just like when I want to declare my intentions to Lori, I don't wake up and say, Lori, I am going to today declare my love and intentions towards you. I don't. And actually, John Gottman has a really wonderful research within marital relationships, but also friendships. And he actually says that most marriages that are resilient, they become sensitive to their spouse's little bids for their attention. And again, we don't declare it like, I am now going to pronounce my bid I think we should start, <laughs> but we don't. Okay, let's ask a question here, a really loving question. How many of you, when people text you, you text them back? Can I see your hands, please? Can I see your hands, please? Okay. How many of you are terrible at texting back? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, every one of you who's raised your hand to the second question, you need to become more like Jesus. <laughs> okay? Let me show you. Let me show you. you may, my phone does this. Your phone may not. Did you know that your phone has emojis? All you have to do is give a thumbs up. You can tap on the text. Oh, I'm too busy. 
you're not too busy. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Now, some of you are not going to respond to text just out of spite. And I don't know if I'm more saddened or impressed by that resiliency. One more story. Matthew 14, 22 to 27. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Oh, wouldn't have been just a beautiful deal to hear what Jesus was saying. I don't think, I think if we use our sanctified imagination, we can certainly see him praying, Lord, are you sure these 12? Are you sure these 12? And when evening came, he was alone there. Oh, he was there alone. Uh, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were what? They're terrified. I think that's an appropriate response. Don't you? I think it's an appropriate response. It says they were terrified. But watch this, and I pray you can see this. This is not the message. This is a little Holy Spirit note within the message for someone. I don't know who. It says, but they saw him walking in the sea, and they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. Whenever our hearts are gripped by an unholy fear, it often leads us to misidentify where God is at work and who he is. Because it wasn't a ghost. But they cried out in fear. And it says, but immediately. Everyone say it, but immediately. <laughs> Jesus didn't let them stew in their fear, by the way. Why? Because he loves them. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I'm not sure if some of you are growing up in this house, grew up in this house, or been around this. I am blessed to live with five individuals, of which, do you know what they enjoy? Terrifying uh, one another. <laughs> Where they will hide around corners. And when you're walking unsuspecting, they will lurch out and go, Arrgh! and they're waiting to see your terrified response. How many of you find that funny? Okay, you come forward for prayer. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. But they love it. They love it. They love it. And, I, and, I, and it goes in seasons. And then when it comes back, I can hear it. And it's terrifying. You know what's quite interesting? I live with somebody, and we sleep in the same room. I don't even have to be playing the game, and I can terrify her. Like I, at least three times a week, at least, Lori's in the washroom, I'm in bed, she just got from said bed, saw said human being in the bed, 30 seconds, she's in the washroom, she comes out, it's 5.30 in the morning, I'm awake, she opens the bathroom door and screams, <laughs> screams, 
terrified, followed by saying, I didn't know you would be here. <laughs> Where would I be? It's 5.30 in the morning. So some of you are so gifted in this game that you don't even have to play it. You're so good at it. But I want you to know in all seriousness, Jesus cares about what makes your heart fearful. He knows when fear grips our heart how it can cause us to misidentify. And so we see even within Scripture, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. I love this. Pastor Marvin Williams profoundly draws this out. When we experience deep waters and dark nights, when we can't see Jesus, Jesus sees us. When we can't come to Jesus, Jesus comes to us. When we can't speak to Jesus, Jesus speaks to us. And he says to us, take courage, don't be afraid, I am here. These are the words of love. These are the words of love. And from love, Jesus invites them to trust and to not be afraid. But Peter has a different idea. And Peter answered him, Lord, watch what Peter says. Lord, if it is you. Now, Jesus just said it was. But we can get it wrong sometimes. And Jesus doesn't turn his back on us when we do. Command me to come to you on the water. And remember Jesus' original promise to Simon, Simon, follow, you, follow me and I will make you. All you got to do is come to where I am and I'll do the forming and the shaping. Simon, if you say that you love me, come in my direction. In success or failure, follow me. And here comes another invitation. And here's what I want to say. It's a little expression. Destiny runs under our feet. Some of you are looking to destiny into the future. And it's good to have dreams. But I love what Yahweh says to Moses, which is where you're standing is where I am. And so take off your shoes because the place that you're standing is holy. It's really important to look back to see what God has done. And it's really important to dream about what God is doing but oftentimes the most misunderstood or the place often where we don't look enough with clarity to is, Lord, what are you doing in this moment? We as the church want to so desperately get to where God desires, but to get to where God desires, we've got to stand in what he's doing. So Jesus says to him, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, ah, you created this problem. You stewing it. No. No, he doesn't. Because that wouldn't be loving. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt why did you doubt first that I was who I said I was? And then second of all, why, why didn't you doubt that what I have given you an assignment to do that you can do in my strength? Why, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped saying, truly you're the son of God. In life, accept, accepting an invitation to follow is, is always directional. 
Disciples in the boat accept that it's Jesus and not a ghost, and their fear is calmed. And Peter accepts the invitation to come where Jesus is and to do what Jesus is doing. And Jesus restores him beautifully, though his faith isn't as strong as he thought it was. Being resilient doesn't mean perfect. Being resilient means when we fail, we know who to turn to, not to turn from. Jesus immediately grabs Peter. What do you look at in the story? Do you look that his faith failed? That's an important part. Or do you look at the part of like, holy moly, out of the 11 and the 12, he walked on water. Resilient disciples do three things differently. They accept the invitations of Jesus and they move in the direction of Jesus in three areas, and here they are. They embrace that discipleship is a long, a lifelong adventure and not a course that you take. Courses are really important and they're good. Even tracks like Bible school, excellent. But never mistake that, like, well, I'm done, discipleship. You ain't never done it. I ain't never done discipleship. It's not something we ever get out of. We're lifelong learners. My worship is my direction. Resilient disciples trust Jesus to speak to them in ways that are relevant to their lives. And and resilient disciples means following Jesus brings them deep joy and satisfaction because, yeah, Jesus is really involved in their Sunday activity, but they also let Jesus be equally involved in their Monday to Saturday lives. I promise you, obedience and and accepting his invitations, large and small, will develop resiliency. Because here's what I hope, whether you're here or at home. I hope I speak for you. I hope I speak for you in saying these words that as a Christ follower, every one of us have one bullseye on our target. And that is one day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's the bullseye. Well, between where you are right now and that bullseye, destiny is under your feet. And what God is desiring to do is to develop resiliency in us so that as the pressure comes, as we're playing the game, so to speak, that we're not going to panic and blame one another for what is occurring, that we're going to be united force against a common enemy so that together the world may see in the midst of all the pressure and perhaps even persecution, small p or large, I don't know, but in the midst of all of that, the world actually looks and goes, in spite of all that, they love their God. And it's evident in how they love one another. Lord, We need a fresh wind, the power of your spirit. Pour it out. Speaking of invitations, I have an announcement to make. Two announcements. One is a clarification. The other is a really special announcement. Here's the clarification. When I'm at the door, some of you are saying, is everything okay? Is Pastor Lori okay? She's more than okay. We have a campus in Canada. She's the interim campus pastor. She's there for a season, and then she'll be back in Orleans and moving around. So she's totally fine. I kicked her butt at pickleball yesterday. We're great. (laughs) 
I left conveniently the part out. I, picked, I kicked her about one game. She beat me twice. <laughs> but here's the really special announcement. Life Center is delighted to announce that Pastor Mitchell Pitt is our new campus pastor for Life Center in Canada. Yeah. And I want you to know, church, what a miracle that is. Do you know the average church right now is waiting 26 to 28 months for pastors? Did you know that there was a time in Canada where there could be an opening for a church and it can be filled within a week or so? You know what's happening, though, with a lot of ministers, that they are looking at churches and the conflict, and they are saying, why would I bother? I'm not blaming this or blaming this. All I'm saying is, in the season ahead, we have a lot of work to continue to do to raise up men and women of God, of God who will serve a lost and broken world and a lost and broken church. So Life Center is delighted to announce Pastor Mitchell Pitt as our new campus pastor for Life Center Canada. Pastor Mitch Cassie and their two sons are excited to join our team at Life Center. They will make the transition to Life Center a little later this autumn. But Life Center would also love to, in this moment, publicly honor Pastors Peter and Sandra McIntosh from Bethel Pentecostal Church for being kingdom-minded and kingdom-hearted in releasing Pastor Mitch, where he has faithfully served for the past 12 years. And so we pray that God continues to build and bless the work of Bethel Pentecostal Church and all the pastoral staff there, because it's not a win if one church gets a yes and another church is left weakened. It is a win when God provides for both and we all grow together in a city. And so this is what we are now praying for, for Bethel, and we honor their, their, their kingdom-minded hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what are the invitations that you're bringing to our lives? Jesus, we love you. But then how does our lives, not to prove, but from genuine, from genuineness, from authenticity, from a desire to follow, like Peter and Simon and, and James and John, how do our lives then move into your direction, the direction of following you? And Father, we thank you that wherever our lives move in your direction, we always find you have always moved first. So Father, speak to our hearts and lives, we pray. Amen. Amen.